Playfield and Associates is based in Sydney on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Gadigal elders and to traditional custodians of country throughout Australia. From Clarefield and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Episode 94, and this week I was joined by someone who has a deep passion for higher education. The Federal MP for the seat of Chisholm, Dr Karina Garland. Not only has two universities, Monash and Deakin, in her electorate, she's a member of the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Employment, Education and Training. Uh, She did her bachelor's degree at Monash and has a PhD from Sydney University and also worked there as a lecturer. I spoke with Dr Garland about the interim report of the university's Accord panel and was interested in her views as both a policymaker and someone with a deep involvement in the sector. As you'll hear at the end, her perspective on the importance of genuine consultation with the sector really gave me a lot of food for thought. I had been thinking that the interim report was somewhat underdeveloped, but after listening to Karina and thinking more about it, I guess you can't have me on the one hand bemoaning the endless policy churn in the vet sector and then pushing for more rush reform in higher education. Uh, Before we start, a quick heads up that this was a deeply stressful experience recording this interview. Uh, Nothing at all to do with my very lovely uh, guest. I was traveling and I had not not just Wi-Fi, but also electrical issues um, at the hotel. I was staying at a lovely iconic hotel uh, in, in Melbourne. Um, to the point where I thought at one point my laptop was going to explode. Anyway, fortunately, it was something to do with the hotel's electrics, not the laptop. It's still going strong. Um, Karina was brilliant during it all, very relaxed, unflustered and forgiving. I was uh, beyond stressed. It was like those early days of COVID where the NBN kept falling apart as we were all um, working from home. Now, the reason for that little story is there will be a couple of sections in the interview where if you're listening closely, you'll hear it's a bit disjointed. Um, I've had to do that in the editing and apologies for that. And finally, to all the podcast listeners who shared with me at both the Pi Live and the Victorian TAFE Association conferences last week that you regularly listen, thank you very much. And special thanks and good luck to Marnie with the soccer tournament. And now, here's Karina. Well, it is a real treat for me today to be joined on the podcast by Dr. Karina Garland, who is the Federal MP for the Electorate of Chisholm. And I'm here in Victoria, so here in in Victoria. And Dr. Garland, Karina is someone with a very keen interest in higher education, as you'll as you'll see as we go through this this interview and discussion. So, welcome to the podcast. Karina, as I said, you're the new federal MP and you have a real interest in higher education 
both as a former student and as an academic. And now in your role as an MP, you're also a member of the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Employment, Education and Training. So it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Can you tell listeners a bit about both your background and some of the work of the committee? Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me participate in this podcast. It's really wonderful to be able to talk to someone who cares so much about higher education as I, as do I. Uh, my background, I studied my undergraduate degree in my electorate, actually, at Monash University. So I did an arts law degree. I didn't like the law side of things and moved into post-grad work, uh, going to the University of Sydney and doing my PhD there in the Department of Gender and Cultural Studies. And I ended up working there for quite some time. And I retain a really great interest in research and institutions. Uh, I've got two universities in the electorate. I've mentioned Monash University. We've also got Deakin University. And given that that's the case, we've got a lot of students and academics who live and work in the electorate. And uh, there are so many people I know in the electorate who uh, have a loved one that is either working or in the higher education sector or studying. So it is a really big issue to the community. Uh, my work on the uh, Standing Committee for Employment, Education and Training has been really exciting and varied. So we've got two inquiries at the moment. One is into the perception and status of vocational education, and that's been going on for quite some time now. And we've recently commenced an inquiry into the use of generative AI artificial intelligence in the Australian education system. So that's going to be a really exciting inquiry too, very timely and topical, given that the government also has at the moment a consultation process around AI and another around robotics, given it seems to be something that jurisdictions all over the world are starting to really have to grapple with in a legislative and policy-making sense. You're absolutely right. And in fact, the inquiry into generative AI, it's been really impressive to see how Deakin University's Adel Centre focused on research into assessment in digital learning has been working hand in hand with TEXA in the higher education sector, really trying to help universities and other higher ed providers to grapple with the, the issues associated with generative AI. So I might have to have you back or one of the other standing yeah. members uh, to talk a bit more about that as your inquiry develops, because I think it is, as you pointed out, hugely important. Yes, well, I would love to, and I'm sure any number of members involved in the um, committee would love to as well, because this is really a topic that is generating so much interest from all sectors of the community, actually. Yeah, absolutely. We'll park AI for the moment and turn our attention to something, you know, equally important and potentially mm. equally transformative for the sector. So the interim report of the University Accord Panel was just recently released and it's got a, a small number of immediate recommendations, which the government, Minister Clare, has taken forward, and then a large number of other proposals and ideas that it's working on. And given you're so 
involved in and, and committed to and engaged with higher education. Can you talk me through, oh, and listeners, what are those, the ideas that you're most passionate about? Why? Oh, absolutely. I think the thing that I'm really passionate about in all of this is, in fact, the process, that we've had a really wonderful consultative process to get us to the point where we have an interim report. And it's been a process that's seen the expert panel, uh, which is chaired by Professor Mary O'Kane, travel the country, speaking to lots of different uh, stakeholders. And where we're at now with the interim report is, yes, we are implementing uh, some priority recommendations now and I'll I'll run through those in in a tick but really I think the fact that when Minister Clare got up at the National Press Club to talk about the interim report uh, he was very clear that really what was in that interim report in terms of recommendations we're not necessarily acting on straight away or or areas for consideration is that there's an opportunity for a really exciting live debate in in Australian community around what we want collectively our university sector to look like, that all the ideas that are in the report on the table for discussion and consultation still, I think is actually really exciting and something I'm really passionate about in terms of how consultative, how democratic really uh, this uh, process has been. Because I can say from my own experience as as a local MP, there is a lot of interest and a lot of, I guess, anxiety too around what the university sector looks like. And so providing people with the opportunity to have their say, to share their stories and experiences and to really shape what the sector looks like so it does work for everyone, I think is vitally important. Yeah, as I said, one of the things I'm actually passionate about is the process rather than some of those recommendations. Although to go to those recommendations that we're acting on immediately, you know, we are, and this was the first, I suppose, headline around the interim interim report recommendations is to establish further regional university centres and suburban uh, university centres too, to really basically be hubs that are going to help improve student participation and completion rates in that kind of place-based, community-led sense that we've seen uh, with the regional university centres that already exist. So really expanding the number of those and also expanding our understanding of where they should be rather than just regional and remote, moving them into suburban areas too where there are uh, some access issues. I think there's been a lot of talk about the uh, job ready graduates package and one of the actions that we're taking immediately is to cease the 50% pass rule. So basically that was a rule that you meant that if you had failed a certain you know, amount of units then you were no longer eligible for you know higher education funding. So by getting rid of that straight away uh, given it disproportionately impacted uh, students from low uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and other uh, marginalised communities, this is going to really be a good thing for equity. We're ensuring that all First Nations students who are eligible for a funded place, you know, at a university, so they, they meet the criteria to gain entry, will be able to have a funded place of at university. So introducing more broadly a demand-driven system for First Nations students 
we're also, I think this is going to be of interest to a lot of universities too, extent, providing more funding certainty through the extension of the higher education continuity guarantee, you know, while we work through the reform process here. And, and one final priority action five, and this has generated quite a bit of media in the last few weeks, has been around the National Cabinet engagement with state and territory governments and universities to improve university governance. And this is something that will particularly focus on uh, student and staff safety and universities being good employers. And I note that there's currently uh, an inquiry uh, underway in the Senate on consent. And we've seen in the news quite a little bit of reporting about consent programs at higher education institutions being discontinued and certainly there is a lot of advocacy from student and other groups to make sure that we uh, do more to uh, improve our student safety on campus. I know the Universities of Australia uh, research their surveys into the incidence of sexual assault on campus is really alarming. I think it's something like one in 20 students has experienced a sexual assault on campus in their course of their degree. And I think we as a country can and should do better. I would add to on that note that just because, you know, we still have to go through this process of engaging with states and territories and universities as a federal government, we're already doing a lot of work in the space to end gendered violence in a generation through the national plan uh, and violence against uh, women and children that launched last year and working with higher education institutions to make sure that students are safe on campus is really key to us achieving that, I think, pretty bold ambition of ending gendered violence within a generation. It is very bold and very needed. Hard to argue with the importance of it when you see the statistics and uh, and you read the uh, reports, you know, of, of the violence and incidents of violence against women. And I certainly think um, the three of the priority recommendations that really spoke to me were the the abolition of that awful 50% pass rule. I recall someone from actually one of the Victorian universities taking me aside uh, last year to say what it had created was essentially a, a hidden cohort of students who were moving around universities when they most needed help because of the you know the way the course was structured the number of subjects that they did so to get a abolish it and b provide support for those students who are at risk of failure and need some some extra support seems to me the the far more ethical and appropriate step to take and uh, I couldn't agree more about uh, we should be giving every first nation student who is you know academically eligible for a higher education study they of course, should have a funded place. Mm. And, uh, the governance reforms, yes, absolutely focused on the students and also focused on on the staff. Now, Karina, were there any of the, I mean, there's a wealth of proposals that a panel is still considering. Are there any that you're particularly interested in seeing them do more work on? Well, look, I think Equity and access is obviously something that we need as a country to do better on. When it comes to higher education, we've barely shifted the dial on students from low SES backgrounds obtaining qualifications. So that does need to change. And, and that has been a focus on 
Minister Clare has, has made this comment for many Labor governments over the years, but we haven't quite managed to create a system that is as equitable in the opportunity it offers as should and should be. So there's a lot of work we need to do and it is exciting to have the opportunity to be part of a government to shape that. And I think there's been an awful lot of stories and experiences people have had where they found that their employment experiences in higher education institutions have not been great. You know, we hear a lot around about insecure work. We hear a lot about underpayment of wages in the media. And we hear a lot about, I think, the anxiety that people in higher education experience often in their work, partly due to the insecure nature of their employment. We saw during the very worst parts of the COVID pandemic, uh, uh, people leave the sector partly because they were excluded from the job keeper scheme, which was a real shame. And you know, I think we would all collectively probably lament the the researchers and teachers that were lost in that process. So I am, you know, someone who's worked in the sector and has spoken to a lot of people who work in the sector. I'm really excited to work with institutions to uh, see what more can be done to make sure that they are you know, employers of choice, that they are places that the brightest minds want to stay in to work in. Brilliant. Yes, we want the best researchers and we want our educators to not be feeling that stress, yeah. uh, to be fully engaged in that. Um, that's critically important educational experience for, for yeah. students. Now, you're obviously very, you've spoken a couple of times about your electorate and you're obviously deeply engaged. You know, you've talked about having both Monash and Deakin and they're quite different institutions. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, what do your constituents say to you about higher education when they talk with you? Absolutely. It's been really interesting since being elected to see what the issues are that uh, people come to me with most often. And I must say, higher education is up there as one of those issues that people uh, do come to our office uh, with either questions or uh, feedback generally around the system. And this was well before uh, really the court process had begun. So this has been a really consistent and persistent uh, topic for people in my electorate. So I'm, I'm being approached by parents, by students, by academics all the time um, about what they think the higher education system should look like. There is anxiety around the C system. People are really worried uh, too, I think, about the fact that if you choose to study the humanities, then, you know, you're going to have to pay more and you may not be able to pay that back and, you know, secure a home loan in the future. So there is a lot of anxiety, unfortunately, around the higher education system, which is why I think it's been so good to have such a public process for this accord consultation, because it's enabled a lot of that feedback to be directly heard by people like myself who can then, you know, feed that into this review process and speak to the, the minister about the issues people raise. But we've also recently, as well as just getting that organic information from people, launched a survey in the electorate around people's views on higher education. And that uh, caters for people who are either current students or former students uh, or 
current or former academics. And we've had almost 400 responses in just a few days, really. It's it's clearly a widely and deeply felt issue in my community. And there's been really varied responses there. We're still working through them all. As you can imagine, there's a, a large volume of, of comments there. and People have been extremely generous with their time to include a lot of comment in, in their survey responses, which I'm really grateful for because that helps me do my job better as an advocate for the views and experiences that people have in their community when I'm talking to ministers and participating in processes around consultation in the education space. Sounds um, like a really rich source of information and, you know, congratulations for, for pulling that together. I think it's, you know, really impressive that your constituents want to share their experiences and feel that they'll be heard and that there are now avenues for you to be feeding that in and contributing their their ideas and suggestions to this reform process. I, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do that because clearly uh, these issues, issues that people care about a, a lot. And so, you know, having having the opportunity to speak to the ministers and to really be an advocate in, in the government, in the parliament for higher education, hopefully mean something to people who have been so generous with their time and their feedback and who've been advocates themselves for often, you know, people in their own families, on their campuses, who, you know, might be struggling. And absolutely. And I should also note, uh, you started off by sharing about the anxiety about fees and particularly yeah. for students looking to to do humanities and, and how good it is to see, you know, that the father of HEX Professor Bruce Chapman bring, brought back by the panel to mm. be helping them work through some of those issues and the, the, you know, the focus on debts and indexation. So I think that's another important sign of deeply worked through reforms that mm. should tweak a good system, but parts of it are not quite working as they were intended, um, I think, at the moment. Absolutely. And I think it's a really positive sign of the government's deep commitment to take these concerns that people in the community have really seriously to put someone of the calibre of Professor Bruce Chapman uh, in their role to to look at uh, the fee structures. And I'll also add to, you know, to return to the theme of student safety that we discussed earlier, it is one of the persistent issues too that are, is raised with me when I step foot on campus and speak to students is the need to improve student safety. So that's one of the reasons that I, I take that one particularly seriously too because I'm hearing from young people all the time and, you know, I've heard stories of how it's really disrupted studies, it's really devastated people and it is pretty awful and heartbreaking to think about those futures that have been changed and, you know, those potential research futures that have been changed because people have unfortunately not been safe in their place of, of work and study. Yeah, our centres of learning are mm -hmm. the safest environments that we need them to be and mm -hmm. I commend you for your obvious commitment to that. Um, I have to say it's been, we've had a few technical issues by <laughs> hopefully behind the scenes and people won't hear this when we publish. But I do thank you for your time and also for starting when you shared about the accord and you talked about the importance of process. And I think as an ex-bureaucrat, I think I've probably been a little hasty in my judgment of the 
panel's report with the fact so many ideas are still out there and up for debate. I, I worry that we don't have the bipartisanship that we need on higher education and I had been thinking perhaps we should have pushed harder for some further reform sooner to get it locked in. But you've given me great pause for thought to stop and think about how do you do genuine consultation and genuine process around reform. So, Dr. Karina Garland, I have learned a lot from this conversation. I'm very grateful to you for making the time and look forward to the work that you and the government and the the standing committee uh, do in the education sector. Oh, thank you so much, Claire. It's been a real pleasure and happy to chat anytime. Brilliant. Thank you so much.